Uh, we are, we're in the book of Colossians, so well worth um, finding that if you uh, have your own Bible, finding that in your Bible. If you don't have a, your own Bible in front of you, there's probably a Bible in the pews. It's page 1015. And um, I've been really looking forward to diving into this uh, letter together. This is, this is uh, what we want to be doing regularly as a church, uh, looking at whole books of the Bible, letting God set the agenda from his word. And we're going to be doing that over this term in this book. I encourage you, probably the best way to prepare for each Sunday as we look at it, um, it, one is to bring your own Bible. Yes, there's Bibles here, but if you bring your own Bible, um, then you can scribble little notes in it and things like that. I almost ripped out part of Colossians this week accidentally. I wouldn't encourage that, but um, bring bring your own Bible. The the other thing that would be probably worth doing is, uh, if you got or you can grab a, a notebook... Uh, something to jot down notes as we look at it together, things that strike you from this letter. It's a wonderful letter. I encourage you to do that. Or on your way in, there are outlines, and that will help you as we look at it together. But probably the best thing you can do is to be reading Colossians uh, in preparation for Sunday. So Gavin mentioned earlier this uh, devotions booklet, or you can get it via email, and that will guide you through Colossians, uh, preparing you for each Sunday. So I do encourage you. Uh, to be in the habit of, of doing that as we, as we get together each Sunday. So let me pray as we dive into Colossians now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you uh, that in him uh, we have redemption. In him we have rescue. Uh, we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, uh, kept for us in heaven, safe because he is in heaven. And so we pray, Father, that as we hear your word now, that you will humble us, you will quieten our hearts from whatever's uh, bouncing around them at the moment that may make it hard to hear you. We pray that we would hear you well, that we would listen, that we would respond with obedient faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last Sunday was the the end of six weeks exploring uh, the theme of Jesus is together, uh, thinking about... Uh, all, all that we uh, can know from the scriptures about who Jesus is and the difference that makes. And one of the things that was exciting to watch over that series is that we had opportunity at the end of each uh, time we got together on a Sunday to, to fill in the blank ourselves, to write something of what we have come to know of Jesus uh, from uh, our own reading of the scriptures and uh, from those that have taught us. And you can see there a picture of some of the responses of our church family over that time. It's, it's a brilliant picture to, just to see the fullness of who Jesus is, just how spectacularly good he is. Uh, here's some of the things that we said. Jesus is my everything. Jesus is my Lord, my saviour, my hope. Uh, each one of the things uh, pictured uh, up on that screen um, tells us something of the wonder of who Jesus is. And we, we haven't even uh, got half of it there. That's just some of why he is so wonderful. And it speaks of, well, what Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 speaks of, uh, God's grace in all its truth. In all its truth. You see it there. It's, it's spectacular. But here's the other thing it speaks of as you look at that picture It speaks of the fact that the news of Jesus impacts us personally. Uh, We come to know him personally and we know these things about him personally. And and what I love about that is that we see the the sort of the chain of events that leads to the gospel changing us, the people who have been part of that process for us. Uh, I wonder if you know uh, how it is that you first came to know of Jesus, uh, who it is that taught you of him. Uh, I reckon for each of us it will be different. 
Um, I was born in Canberra, Australia, which I like to try and keep quiet. Um, but I learnt the gospel um, from a man from Phoenix, Arizona, who himself learnt the gospel from a friend uh, in North Carolina. And even just thinking about that thrills me, that the chain of events, that sort of the journey the gospel went on to, to land in my mind and heart in a dusty hall in Sydney. Uh, uh, spectacular to think of God's arrangement to, to bring that about. And uh, I reckon each person here who has received Jesus Christ as Lord, you will have your own story to tell of those who have the chain of events that handed on this news to you that you received Um, And what we have here in the book of Colossians, as we start it together this morning, is another glorious chapter in that chain of events of the gospel uh, going all throughout our world. Um, Here's a little bit of background to the letter to to give you a sense of the chain of events that that are behind it. Um, It begins with a guy by the name of Philemon, and he's a well-to-do businessman uh, who lives in Colossae, um, but he's often travelling for business And uh, one of his frequent flyer stops is uh, Ephesus, and he goes there regularly. And on this particular occasion, though, it's different. Uh, He's going about his business, and while he's there, he hears news that there's a guy who's rented a hall in Ephesus, a guy called Paul, and he is telling people that Jesus is not just the king of God's people, Israel. He's actually king of all the earth. He's king of all people. And, and so you can imagine Philemon, maybe he's got a free afternoon or evening and he thinks, I'll go along and have a listen. So he does. And to his great surprise, as he hears of God's grace to him in the Lord Jesus, he comes to receive it. He comes to faith in the Lord Jesus. And he heads back to Colossae with this newfound news about Jesus. Now, at the same time, uh, another man from Colossae has the exact same experience in Ephesus. His name is Epaphras. We're going to meet both of these guys as we go through the letter. Um, Epaphras hears the news about Jesus in that hall and he responds with faith and he becomes a Christian. Uh, And you can imagine these two guys, they head back um, separately uh, to Colossae and they start telling people what they've discovered, what they've found to be true about Jesus, and more people start becoming Christians. And as that number grows, they start to meet together and they meet in Philemon's house. They form a church there. Now, while all this is going on, um, another person enters the scene and we'll meet him as we go through the letter. He's one of Philemon's slaves. Now, we'll deal with the issue of slaves later in the letter, but uh, the thing you need to know about this particular slave, his name is Onesimus, which is a great name if you're looking for a name for a child. Um, uh, but he's a dodgy slave. He's sick of being Philemon's slave. So he does the runner and he goes to the big smoke of Rome. Uh, now, by God's gracious arrangement, by this time, Paul's not in Ephesus anymore. He's gone to Rome. And he's not there sort of by choice in one sense at this point. He's under house arrest in Rome. Uh, but we're told in the book of Acts that he's able to have visitors. Um, and we're told that each visitor who comes gets to hear this same message. Paul can't help himself. In fact, it says in the scriptures that he preached boldly and without hindrance, even with the chains on. And in God's arrangement, one of the visitors who visits Paul in his house in Rome is none other than Onesimus. And Onesimus hears the news about Jesus and he too receives it and becomes a Christian. And he becomes a huge help to Paul. In fact, the Bible tells us they're like thick as thieves. He's uh, Paul's right-hand man, like a son to Paul. Such a help for him in this time of, well, chained ministry. Time passes 
And then one day appearing at Paul's house in Rome was the familiar face from the Ephesus days of none other than Epaphras. And Epaphras has travelled to Rome because he wants to tell Paul what's happened in Colossae. He went back with this message, so did Philemon. But by this stage, it's multiplied throughout Colossae. All sorts of men and women and children have become Christians and he wants to tell Paul about this. And what Paul hears is, well, you see it there in verse 2 of our passage, there's now a holy and faithful people in Colossae, a whole bunch of Christians. You imagine Paul's joy. There he is chained... Uh, unable to travel around on his missionary journeys, which is what he wants to do, and yet he hears this news and he thinks there's so much to thank God for. And there's so much I still want to pray for these Colossian Christians. He's never met them, but he hears this news and he says, I need to write to them and I want to encourage them to keep going as Christians. And, And so he writes the letter that we have in front of us and he hands it to Tychicus. I don't know whether that's how to say his name. We'll meet him in chapter 4. Um, but the other person, I don't know why it involves two people carrying a letter, but the other person who carries a letter back is none other than Onesimus, who has to carry this letter back to Philemon's house. You imagine that knock on the door. We'll deal with that uh, in a few weeks' time. And they hand this letter to the Colossian church who gather to hear it, just like we're gathered this morning to hear it. And I want to tell you that their purpose in listening is exactly the same purpose we have this morning. They're hearing a letter from a man they've never met, as we have never met the Apostle Paul, but a man who, by the glorious path the message of Jesus has taken, has played a key role in them coming to faith, as indeed he has for us, as we listen in here in Warunga. And so let's listen well, because this is a letter essentially written for our encouragement. And as we start to listen, have a look at verse 3. The first thing we will hear from Paul in this letter is a prayer. He's going to do two things, very simple. He's going to give thanks and he's going to ask for more. Well, let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, verses 3 to 8, he gives thanks. Starting with verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And, and as he goes on, he'll really give thanks for three things. Here's the first of them. He gives thanks for what's happened in Colossae. Uh, what's happened in Colossae? Well, life has happened. Uh, Gospel-created life has happened and and he he gives thanks for the three authentic signs of that sort of life in verses four and five and I, I want to encourage you these are the three signs to look for in your own life as a Christian um, there there is a there are seasons in life as a Christian where we might grow um, uncertain and perhaps not have assurance am I doing the Christian life right am I am I really a Christian well if you ever feel this that way here are the the authentic signs of Christian life And it's not just true for an individual Christian, that's true for a church. If someone was to look in on our church, these are the signs that they should see if this is a gospel church. Uh, Because there's all sorts of false signs a church could have that look like life, uh, success or prosperity or numbers or wonders or miracles or tongues or healings or deep tradition. It can be all sorts of things that look very lively, but they're not authentic gospel signs. There's only three Do you see them there in verses 4 and 5? They are faith, hope and love. Now let's look at each in turn. Firstly, he gives thanks for, well, he says there, verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And it's easy to be confused about faith. It's easy to sort of maybe on one hand to think of uh, faith as like the step in the dark and it's not that. That's not what gospel faith is. Nor is it just a 
an intellectual matter. It's just facts I know about Jesus. That's what faith is. Well, it is facts about Jesus. It's true faith, but it's more than that. Faith is also the experience we have as Christians. Uh, It's the experience that we should be able to recognise in our lives over time. Faith is the experience of trust, of security, of confidence in Jesus in life. As we live and speak in a world like ours, a world that has all sorts of reasons to sort of buffet us and make it hard to live well, it's saying in the midst of all of that, in my own frailty, I trust him. I trust him. And I want to encourage you, don't underestimate how significant faith is in your life, how much it changes things. It means in a world like ours, you can be confident. Uh, Not arrogant, but you can be confident, and not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus and all he has done. That's a miracle, and Paul sees it in Colossae. He hears news of it, and he gives thanks. Here's the second thing he gives thanks for, the second authentic marker of gospel life, love. Uh, Again, verse 4, I give thanks to the love you have for all of God's people. And again, don't lose sight of the miracle of that. Uh, this is uh, the sort of the deep love that happens when you know God's love for you, God's grace towards you in all its truth, and you see another person in this church and you, you know God loves them just as deeply as he loves you. That binds you in a way like nothing does. They may be very different to you. They may be different in age or culture or preference or situation. They may even be quite annoying uh, there's no one here like that, but that, that can happen from time to time. But such things are actually utterly irrelevant to the fact that just as God has so loved you in Christ Jesus, he's loved them. And so I can't be indifferent to you anymore. We're, we're brothers, we're sisters in Christ, uh, we're family. I wonder if you know that experience here. Are these the marks of our church? Faith in Christ Jesus, love for God's people. And then this third one, hope. Hope that's stored up for you in heaven. I love the way that's described. Uh, What our world needs most is a hope that's safe and secure and nothing can steal it from us. And yet the hopes of this world are the exact opposite of that. They're fleeting and fading and uh, things, they can be taken from us. But here is a hope that is utterly safe. But do you see why it's safe? Have a look at verse 5. It's safe because when Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven... He planted an anchor there. He's there because he's safe there. Our hope, which is him, is safe as well. And we're told this of that hope, verse 5, it's, it's meant to be for us like a spring or a well that you can draw on and it will never run out. And in fact, it is what will grow your faith in him and your love for one another. So that's what's happened in Colossae, faith Hope and love in Christ Jesus. But here's the second thing Paul gives thanks for. Not just what's happened, but how it happened. And this is simple, but it's wonderful. How it's happened is that it came to them as a message. That's how this life happened. The, the message that Epaphras and Philemon took back to Colossae, that they carried with them the gospel, this, this treasure, this life-giving treasure, and as they handed it round in Colossae, it, it led to life. And what was it they were handing around? What was the message? Well, if you want a picture of it, and we'll get a number of them in this, this letter, have a look at the last verses of our passage, verse 12 to 14. Here's the message that they brought. News that God had, verse 14, redeemed us that he bought our forgiveness at the price of his blood. That's the message. News, verse 13, that God had rescued us, even from our own death and our fear of death, by bringing us into the kingdom of his risen son. 
and news, verse 12, that we had been qualified to share in the inheritance of God's people. That's the message that brought this life. Paul gives thanks because the Colossians heard the message and they received it. And the way they heard it and received it is, is so simple, it looks so ordinary, but this is how God produces gospel life in our world. You see it there, verse 7? They learnt it from Epaphras, just as he learned it from Paul. It's that simple. They, verse 5, understood this word of truth. And that's the same message that we have learnt. And it's the same message that holds out such hope such gospel life to, well, the town that we are a part of here. Would, would you pray that we would be faithful as Epaphras and Philemon were with that message? Pray that each one of us not be the ones who break this, if you like, cycle of grace that God is bringing about in our world. Would you pray that, well, in the, in the words of verse 7, that we would be committed to learning it well? You know, back at our, our, our vision dinner, one of the things that we said was a priority for us this year is committing to gathering together each Sunday. And uh, here's one of the reasons why that's such a priority is because we want to learn this gospel well so that we can be faithful with it. Here's the truth. God can progress the chain of the gospel without us. Uh, he can do that without us, and he will. But don't you want to be in on it? What an encouragement it is to hear news of the chain of the gospel going beyond ourselves and impacting other people's lives. Uh, That's what drives my Christian life. Does it drive your Christian life, that that chain of events that we're part of? Uh, What a privilege it is to see it happen when it goes beyond us to to others. I remember years ago, uh, the first uh, youth Bible study group I ever led, I led a group of guys from year 7 to 12 and uh, at the end of those years, at the end of year 12, I was heading overseas with some friends and I got to the airport and a bunch of these guys turned up to say goodbye and, uh, and they had a gift to sort of say thank you uh, for the, the Bible study group and they handed me this gift and I opened it in, in the airport and, uh, and it was a watch, a dodgy watch to be honest. They said they got a two-for-one deal and I was the other watch. Um, so I took this watch on the plane and I'm putting it on on the plane and then I look on the inside of the watch, there's three words written, faith, hope, love. And, uh, that, you know, the thrill of that moment to see, you know, uh, at points uh, a pretty ramshackle bunch of guys, that that same gospel message had been passed on to them and, and God willing, now passed on through them to others. In fact, one of them sent me a, a text message on Easter Day simply to say, Christ is risen. What a thrill it is to be part of the chain of the gospel. Would you pray that for us as a church? Paul gives thanks for what's happened, for how it's happened, this message being passed on. The other thing he gives thanks for, you see it there in verse 6, is for what it all means. Here's a bit of poetic license. I sort of picture Epaphras sharing this news with with Paul and, and Paul giving his mate Epaphras a hug and saying, do you know what this means, don't you? And, of course, they both knew what it meant, but it's kind of fun to say it out loud, so Paul does. Verse 6. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and it's multiplying. As the gospel surges through a world like ours, a world that God made, but a world that's rejected its maker a world that's broken and under judgment, as the gospel goes around a world like that, it, it, it's bearing fruit and multiplying. Now, they're big words that Paul says here in verse 6. I wonder if they sound familiar. They're actually foundational words. They're some of the first words that God spoke to humanity as a command. They feel like a purpose statement for humanity. And Paul quotes them here in verse 6 very deliberately to take us back to those first moments after creation 
I wonder if you heard it as, as Meryl read our first reading. Have a look at it. It's Genesis 1 verse 27. God blessed them. This is the man and the woman. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God's original purpose for humanity, this creation mandate, was to be fruitful and multiply. And here's the truth. It was always about more than making babies and culture. And so hearing the news of the gospel's progress in Colossae, Paul knows what God is doing. This creation mandate uh, is ultimately being fulfilled through this gospel through this gospel being heard and understood and it's bringing life, it's bringing multiplying life. That's what God does in our world. And so he says, thank God for what's happened, for how it's happened and for what it means. And then in verse 9, having given thanks for so much, he turns to, well, to be honest, ask for more. And I love that. I love, uh, at, we, at this point, you could almost say, Paul, there's been a lot of things to give thanks for. How about we just say thanks and, and leave it at that? But no, Paul's after more. He reminds me of, um, in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne. Remember when he, if you've seen the movie, he's trying to set up a library uh, in, the, in the prison. And so he starts writing letters and the prison guards say, no one's going to respond. But eventually he gets this box of books and uh, they set up, and the prison guards think, oh, good, that'll, that'll stop him. But it doesn't stop him. He starts sending even more letters and getting even more books and funding until we're left with this giant library in the middle of this prison. And, and that's a picture of Paul here. Even though he's so thankful, he's boldly asking for even more. Uh, and what I love about that is it actually helps us think about our own prayer life, and you see how intimately connected his thankfulness and askfulness, if you like, is. And I reckon what we often do in our own prayer life is we split them. When, when all is well and I'm, uh, you know, think, things are all my ducks in a row, I'm thankful and I ask little. It'd be greedy to. But remember this message. It's a message of God's grace in all its fullness. Ask more, says God. And when troubles come or, or lack, I, I find myself, this isn't really a word, but we'll go with it, I'm askful. <laughs> And I thank little. But not Paul. He's in prison. And the reality is he may well not leave this prison without a death sentence. And yet he looks around and he hears this news and he's got so much to give thanks for and yet also so much to ask for. And he asks for two things. And we'll finish with these. Firstly, he says, God, will you give these Colossian Christians a life filled with knowledge of your will? Do you see that there in verse 9? Now, I don't know about you, but again, I, I look at that and I balk and I think, Paul, couldn't you have asked for something a little more interesting? Of all the things that you could have asked for these Colossian Christians, why more knowledge? But Paul is no fool. He's not asking for them to be filled with abstract knowledge. He, he wants them to be filled with knowledge of God's will, his grace, his truth, his his purposes and promises in this world. He he wants them to know about those things. And the reason he prays that for them is that he knows that that is the absolute best thing for their lives to be filled with. Here's my question to you as you see Paul pray that, and he would pray it for us. Is that what you want prayer for? If someone was to ask you this week, what can I pray for you? Is this what you want most? Uh, to be filled with knowledge of God's will. And I, I love that picture of filled. Imagine your life is like a big jar and it's a whole bunch of rocks that make up all the details of your life. Paul's saying, I want all of those rocks to be absolutely soaked, filled full of God's well, knowledge of his will. That's what he'd pray for us. 
And indeed, that's what I'm praying for our church. Again, back to our, our goal of committing to gathering together. This is why, that we might be soaked in his will, his purposes. Of all the things uh, Paul could pray for the Colossians, why does he pray this? Well, if you want an answer, have a look at verse 10. Here's the why. So that you might live. This is how you live, by knowing his will. So that you might not just live any old life, but you see there, live a life worthy. I wonder if you want that. Do you want to live a life worthy of the Lord? Because that's the second thing he prays for them. Knowledge of God's will, and secondly, that they live lives worthy of the Lord. And not just worthy, but you see it there, uh, verse 10, pleasing him in every way. Uh, what a thought, that you could live all of life, every, every detail of your life, in a way that pleases God. I wonder if that's your ambition. I remember years ago uh, when my oldest two children, Finn and Jamie, were, were learning to swim in the UK. We, we, they, they learned to swim in this school and they had a really odd setup in the pool. The pool was down low and then the parents were like two stories up in this weird viewing booth. And so there I was up in this viewing booth and looking down at Finn and Jamie in the pool and they're supposed to be focused on the instructor doing whatever the instructor says and instead of doing that, they're doing little cartwheels and somersaults in the pool and looking up to see if I'm watching. (laughs) And in one sense that looks all back to front if you want to do it properly, but actually I reckon we get life back to front. We spend our lives living to please all of those around us, desperately trying to do that, even though it's impossible. And actually your job is to please one the one who made you and loves you. You get that right and the other things will start to follow and that's why he wants us to know God's will, that we may live worthy of him. And if we live worthy of him, as we finish, here's what will start to happen. You see it, verse 10? We'll bear fruit in every good work. And again, see the word every, I love that. Not fruit in some aspects of our lives, like when you're on the roster at church, but everything, everything. There's no aspect of our lives that knowledge of his will can't shape and produce fruit in and then here's the second one and this is perhaps my favorite the more we know of his will this is wonderfully circular the more we'll know him you see the purpose of knowing his will that you may know him this is relational knowing god's will is knowing god's heart is utterly for you uh years ago um before liz and i started going out she'll hate me for telling this but um uh, I had plans, intentions, uh, to ask her out sometime in the next six to 18 months uh, when I dug up the courage at some point in that period. And um, uh, I remember one particular, just before Christmas, we'd been at a Christmas party and uh, I'd headed home and I was driving home along a road at night and then behind me there's this other car and it's flashing its lights and I'm thinking, oh, something wrong with my car. So I pull over And out of the car behind me, out of the passenger seat of the car behind me, Liz gets out, encouraged by a friend who shall remain nameless, um, and she jumps in my car in the passenger seat, and I can't remember the exact words, but it was something along the lines of, I'm not sure what's wrong with you, (laughs) but I'm quite keen to maybe see if we might go out on a date, what do you think about that? And at that point, that sort of fast-tracked the whole six to 18-month build-up process that I had... (laughs) planned but what I loved about that moment um, and it was a glorious moment but uh, what I loved about that moment was and this is selfish but it took all the risk out of it uh, to know that she was for me and what that led is just a desire to know her 
Oh, this is why God wants us to know his will. The more you know his will, you will know he is utterly for you and he is good and his plans are good. And that will lead you to want to know him even better. And when we know him well, here's the final thing that will happen. We'll be, verse 11 and 12, empowered to wait for our hope that is safe for us in heaven. Empowered to, we're told, endure waiting for that hope to be realized and what I love about the way we'll endure is we're told in verse 11 and 12 that the endurance won't be a sort of a grim determination that's not how the Christian's meant to live but you see there we wait with joy we wait with thankfulness filled with knowing him who's waiting for us well let's pray Father God, we thank you so much for your very great love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that the more we know of your will, the more we see how good that will is and the more we long to know you. Would you grow our faith and our love and our hope that we may uh, live worthily of you in everything we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.